Welcome to Digital First Leadership, the podcast that focuses on helping leaders and teams understand how to master the language of social media in today's digital first world. Jeff, thanks you, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, thanks, Richard. Great to be here. Thank you. Now, Jeff, if I were to meet somebody in a restaurant or in a networking event and I was to introduce you, how would how would you want me to introduce you? What is it that you do and, and kind of the value that you bring to the customers you work with? Sure. Well, what I would say, Richard, is, you know, I spent the last 25 years leading the Canadian subsidiaries of some pretty large uh, uh tech companies in Canada. So I had responsibility for the subsidiaries. And, you know, after 25 years of doing it, I said to myself, um, maybe it's time to give up the weekly forecasting business and retire. So that's what I I did. When you talk about that weekly forecasting, well, we're obviously not talking about the weather. No. So, you know, when I talk to other sales leaders and, and I talk about, so how often do you forecast? It's we forecast every week. You know, when I ran NetApp Canada and Veeam Software in Canada, every single week we rolled up a forecast call. And as the sales leader for the country, I would have one forecast call with my team and one forecast with my boss. So if you do the math, I've done about 3,000 forecast calls over my career. And so I say I've given up the weekly forecasting business called sales leadership. You know, anybody in sales leadership in technology certainly smiles and says, I, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. So what so, have you stepped in? So you stepped away from that. And what have you stepped into then? Yeah. So, you know, I'm too, too young to do nothing. And I'm up here in Canada, up north. You can only golf half time of the year. So I've built a solo sales consultancy I call winning the six figure sale. And what I do is I help sales leaders in technology win more big deals with a proven three-step system that I really developed while running NetApp and Veeam software. So I help sales leaders win big deals and help them run complex sales campaigns. That's what I do now. So help me understand then, what would be some of the challenges that these sales leaders are facing when they're trying to do a complex sales deal? And what's your definition? I guess what's the, well, I guess we'll start with, what's the, first of all, what's the definition of a complex sale? Right. So, you know, I call it winning the six-figure sale because Six and seven figure sales campaigns, unless they're they're back into an existing customer where you're just upgrading current technology, they're usually, if they're competitive, they're complex sales campaigns. There's many steps that a sales team would have to go through. There's many stakeholders that they would have to meet. And that's a lot of things to keep track of uh, to run a good sales campaign. So you know, that's what I mean. Mid-size to large enterprises, complex sales campaigns, lots of steps, lots of stakeholders. Um, it takes a very intentional and deliberate process to actually go through if you're not going to miss something that could sink your deal. So what I'm hearing then is that you've got this this euphemistic forecasting job that you had, and now you stepped in and said, okay, here's, I'm, I'm guessing is here's how to be more accurate with that forecasting. Go ahead. Yeah. So. You know, the net result of running a sales campaign, a good sales campaign, is you win more big deals. And winning more big deals has a dramatic impact on your sales forecast. So I don't I tell people my my program is not really about forecasting, but if you run better sales campaigns, these are usually the big deals that move the forecast needle. These are the deals most sales leaders depend on to overachieve their sales targets and their forecasts. So I don't really teach people how to forecast. I teach them how to win big deals, which in the end helps them uh, 
more accurately forecast when their deals are actually going to land. Oh, got it. And that certainly helps me understand a little bit better because I think as we've talked about it before on uh, in other conversations, you've identified really, what is it? 10 steps into that for that, uh, that sales process, right? Right. Let, so uh, I absolutely. think rather than cover all 10, let's cover five of them. What would be the first, let's talk about that. The first five steps that you think are important um, to, to moving you towards that winning that six figure deal. Yeah. So, so I really break the process into two. And the first one is really got uh, three steps to it. And then we go from step four to step 10. So we'll talk about the first three. And, you know, the first step is really, if it's big and it's complex and you're, you're part of a fairly large organization, you're going to have to get your deal approved because typically big deals mean big discounts or low gross margin. So often large organizations have a deal desk or they often require that approval is is needed beyond the first line sales manager so i i tell people you know what are some of the things you want to think about when you're trying to get your deal approved and first you describe the deal how big is it how much future revenue is there if we win the deal you know as a as a vp for the country i was always more interested in deals that had future annuity revenue to them right so we like big one-shot deals but I really preferred when we landed a deal and then there was a lot of future annuity to the deal. So one of the questions I would ask is, so if you win the deal, um, is there follow on business? Yes, there is. What's the get well plan? What do you mean? Well, we're going to have to get really aggressive to win the deal. But once we won the deal, how do we improve our position over time? So we don't have to sell at these goofy prices forever inside this account. And that simple question really requires sales reps think about the art of their deal. How do they architect their deal so the customer feels like they're getting a really good deal up front? They're very competitive on price, but then the sales rep can get away with selling at lower discounts over time to make up some of the margin that they lost. So that's, you know, those are some of the questions just around getting your deal approved. And that, Here's and, another, that and so, sorry, go ahead. So if a salesperson doesn't know who's going to approve that deal, are there certain ways that they find out? Sometimes is it just flat out asking? Who, 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 do I, who do I need to talk to? Well, so far, this is just inside their own company. So oh, before oh, I can get... You're yeah. talking about actually in the man... So I'm a sales rep working for this tech company. I want to we'll make this deal. I need to get it approved internally in my own company. Then I'm allowed to do the discounting. I'm allowed to price it at this point. That's what you're talking about. That's right. Because often... Big deals will require discounts bigger than sales reps are authorized to give. Got it. So they've got to go to their manager and he will often have to go to his manager if they want to get really aggressive. And so, okay. you know, I'm, I'm busy reviewing an internal deal and I go, okay, what's the discounts? What's the margin? Uh, how much future business is there? What's the get well plan? And, uh, you know, before we even started, the rep goes, wow, I never really thought about how I'm going to reduce my discounts over time. Well, depends how you architect your deal. Then I ask him, have you got any special terms and conditions we might not enjoy? What do you mean? Well, you know, if you sell to a large account, often they want uh, limited liability or indemnity or most favored, nation, most favored nations pricing. So there are some terms and conditions that large banks, telcos, government agencies will require from their vendors that give their vendors heartburn. So I go very early on, like, do you know if there's any special terms 
if you're responding to an RFP, what are those terms we need to pay attention to so we can get our legal folks involved uh, before the deal's about to close? Got so it. those are all the very first questions I would ask in the review that often reps go, like, why are you asking me all this? I have no idea. Well, you know, we should be thinking about this stuff as we architect our deal. And that's really just step one, right? That's just step one. Okay. Right? We've, we, we've, uh, we've barely got started. And then, you know, and then step two and three is all around, is the deal qualified? Right. And, and I go, and I didn't invent this. This is called BANT. IBM invented this a thousand years ago. Um, budget, authority, need, or business outcome, and timing. Those are four elements of a deal you want to understand, you know, from the customer's perspective. So you know if you should spend time on the deal. Is it well qualified? Things like, has the budget been approved? Has the budget been released? You know, for the last two years, we've been in COVID. So the question is, what's changed in the customer's budget approval process? You know, and I ask reps that now and they go, well, nothing. Well, I go, that's, that can't be. You know, right. VP of finance have a lot less revenue coming in these days for most organizations, not all. So a lot has changed in the budget approval process given COVID. And reps need to go off and really think about what that looks like. And they need to go, you know, explore that with their customer. And that's, uh, so B is the budget. And then A is authority. You know, are you speaking to the people who have final authority to say yes on your deal? Or are you talking to somebody who can just say no? And there's a big difference, right? Right. Um, you know, and, and I build this little thing in my program called a relationship map. And the relationship map really just talks about who are the key decision makers that are going to impact your deal. And then I ask them three questions. Have you met them in person or on Zoom? Is the pro person pro-neutral or against you? And then what, what are they in the decision process? Are they a decision maker, a direct influence, or an indirect influence, or a coach, a fox? And we really map this out on a little, uh, I call it a relationship map, way easier to understand than a complex org chart, which right. doesn't always really tell you who's in the power base. You know, it's so, something... Something, something that we do with our when we, we work with our salespeople is we use Sales Navigator. And I tell them, look, you're going into a company that's got 10,000 employees, right? So oftentimes they want to start with the decision maker. And I tell them, no, use Sales Navigator, do a search through all 10,000 employees for prior work at your competitor. Have any of these employees ever worked for your competitor? Because that's going to be those hidden, as you said, those hidden landmines of people who might just get in the way that you have no idea because they don't show up on the org chart, right? And it's also a way to find allies. Has anybody ever worked at your company before or a previous successful job that you've had? And Sales Navigator is a great way to do that. So I like that, what you're talking about, that relationship map. Find out what those relationships are in there. I like that. I, I think that's, I, I'm going to add that to my list, Richard. That's a great <laughs> question. Right. Because uh, those yeah, are usually the people who, you know, aren't supporting you. They have prior bias. And we know yeah. as yeah. you, you know, as you navigate through a large sales campaign, there will be people who like you, people who are neutral and people who are again you. And, and often they're again you because they work for your competitor and they still have right. close ties to that competitor. They Makes do. great sense. So we've got B, I, I, A. Right. And, and the last thing I do with the relationship map is if, if you've met them in person and they're pro your solution, 
the little box on the map turns green. Okay. If it doesn't, it's red. And I can very quickly look at a relationship map and see how wide and deep a sales team is selling. You know, I work for tech companies. Often tech reps like to sell to technical people with money. So they're comfortable talking tech feeds and speeds to other technology people, but they aren't comfortable talking about uh, money or business outcomes. And so typically the financial decision maker is red, right? Uh, often the line of business, the person whose business is going to be enabled by this solution um, is red. And so I can quickly, I can quickly look at a relationship app and go, you're only selling to the technical buyers, but yeah, we know yeah. in complex sales campaigns, there are often five to six key decision makers and they're not all technical buyers. And so the authority piece is one to understand how wide and deep we're selling. Are we, you know, do we have access to power? Are we talking to the people who can say yes, or are we just talking feeds and speeds to people who like technology and already like us? Right. So we're, we're kind of, Step two into this thing, and you know, we've already discovered some things that uh, that that people didn't know before, right? Yeah, and so then the third band is now need, or as you say, business outcomes, right? That is, is are we really is that basically to distill? Are we really solving a problem here, or what is the problem that we're solving? Right, and so you know, it's really interesting for tech people. They often talk about uh, a. Technical needs. I need faster disk. I need faster servers. I need my network to be faster. But one of the questions I ask is, what business outcomes is the customer expecting from your solution? Wait, business outcomes. Because customers have lots of problems. They typically only solve problems that have a real impact on their business. And so I go, what are the business impacts? What are the business outcomes you're trying to address? And can you articulate those into financial terms? Now, I've really often got sales reps out of their comfort zone because they can talk about feeds and speeds till the cows come home. But what business outcomes and what financial impact will your solution bring to the customer from their perspective? And if the rep can answer that, we start to get a sense for, okay, this, this problem I'm solving has a big impact for customers, and that's going to motivate them to close. So. As an example, think about the last two years. At the beginning of the recession, uh, uh, sorry, at the beginning of COVID, nobody was talking that much about work from home. But all of a sudden, COVID hit and customers had to spend money to enable their employees to work from home. Often those projects weren't in the budget. Yeah, They got reallocated from other budgets. What was the business outcome? Well, Strategically urgent, tactic, uh, strategically relevant, tactically urgent, provide rapid time to value. You know, those, so, some of the other qualification questions. And if a project was those three things, strategically re relevant, tactically urgent, provide rapid time to value, it would get approved. Think about all the work from home stuff was just that. So if you were working on a three year business process engineering project when COVID hit, the money allocated to your project might get reallocated to just get employees to work from home. Yeah, and all saw, of a sudden, oh, so go ahead. All of a sudden, different projects were getting approved because the business need had changed. And if the rep was just thinking about speeds and speeds, they would have missed that completely.
Yeah, we saw that heavily because uh, what we do, obviously, at BlissPoint is helping sales reps understand how to build the relationship and, and begin negotiating and closing deals over online in, in a digital environment, particularly through LinkedIn. And where before that was a nice to have, when COVID hit, that became an essential. That if you no longer had the ability to get on a plane and go shake the hand and meet and talk to your prospect in their face, eye to eye and face to face, suddenly how do you do that? And so many were unprepared for that. And that's why we saw that business outcome was how do I help my sales reps get in front of prospects and customers where they have no ability to do that through physical activity? And that we saw that exactly what happened. And a lot of budget got shifted over from events and activities and travel. It's like, okay, we got this money. Let's teach them how to actually do that online. Totally. I, I was chatting with uh, a VP of one of the large, uh, you know, mainline distributors in Canada, right? He, he runs a very big business. And I, you know, it was probably June of 2020. So we were just kind of in the beginning steps of, uh, of all this COVID stuff, you know, and I said, how's business? I fully expecting him. Oops. Jenny. Sorry, guys. It's all right. Happens to all work of us from, now. Work right? from home. What do you know? Um, so I, I was asking him how business, fully expecting him to lament a little bit about how business was down. And he said, he said, hey, Jeff, if I had 15,000 more laptops this quarter, I would have sold them all. Yeah. Right. And those 15,000 laptops weren't in the budget early on. But all these projects were strategically relevant, tactically urgent, provide rapid time to value. Then people needed to get trained to work on Zoom, work from home, build relationships, all the stuff that you do that completely changed. So um, so that's a big, you know, that's a whole thing around qualification, around not just technical need, but business outcomes. And I find sales reps can truly differentiate themselves if they get educated and get comfortable talking about business needs as well as technical, sorry, business outcomes versus technical needs. Yeah. Big that, lesson it, for salespeople. It is. It's a big, it's a big shift, particularly in the tech that you and I have both, you know, spent our entire careers in getting the, away from talking about the technical. And that really is the new role of the salesperson today, because as we know, our prospects, clients, they have gone out, done the research, they've been online, they know the price, they know the features, they know everything they need. Now they just need you to talk to them to see if you understand their business, right? And so that's a, that's a critical component. That, that is a, a very significant change and, and why some salespeople really won't make it in this whole new world. You know, yeah. There's going to be a lot of sales reps who, who find that what was a tough business before becomes even more difficult. Because, you know, the expectation of salespeople goes far beyond just the understanding of their technical specs. Absolutely. So we only have a couple of minutes left. Let's wrap up with the, because we got the B, budget, authority, need, and then the T. Timing. So, sure. so here, here's another great question I ask. So what's the compelling event that's going to make this deal close as expected? And I get all sorts of answers from, hey, the quote expires on Friday. And I go, you know, just a minute. Buyers today expect the price you gave them on Friday is the price they're going to pay on Monday, whether it's your quarter end or not. So right. put, you know, put uh, limited time offer pricing aside, because especially in complex sales, that doesn't work. Then they go, the maintenance contracts expired. Well, if you're the incumbent vendor, you can play all sorts of games with when maintenance expires. And no vendor I know 
you know, tells customers when the maintenance agreement is expired that they're not going to get support on Monday if it expired on Friday. So that's not a good one. So the, se the last question I ask is, what's the compelling event? And then they get all these flowery answers. And then I say, what happens to the customer if they miss the compelling event? So just think about that. What happens from the customer's perspective if they miss the compelling event? And if nothing happens, it wasn't that compelling from the customer's perspective. Right. And reps, you know, they, their shoulders go down and they go, oh, Jeff, that's not fair. Well, not every deal has a compelling event. Uh, but thinking that you have a compelling event when you don't is even worse. Because then you get this false sense of security that your deal is going to close when expected. Because something magical is going to happen to the customer you know, on Friday, you know, the last Friday of the quarter, that doesn't happen. So those are the, the you know, those are the first questions. I, li uh, I like that. I, I like that. Okay. In our case, one of the compelling events we often see is they've made an investment, for example, in Sales Navigator, a very substantial investment, and they're not getting their money out of it. And now the renewal's coming up and we have to decide if we're going to keep this product. So there's two compelling events here. One, the person who made the commitment to invest it. And two, oftentimes the LinkedIn sales navigator rep who really wants. So there's two compelling events here. And this is when we get pulled in. Can totally. you help us justify and validate that we're getting value out of this? And so when we step in and start training salespeople, we understand we're there to teach them to rapidly adopt and find the value of this before the renewal comes up. And they, because some of those sales navigator deals are a million dollars plus. Totally. And, and, you know, that's a great example. I tell, tell reps, if, if the customer's building out a data center and you're selling storage and they've already bought the networking equipment and they've already bought the servers and they've already bought, uh, you know, VMware and they've got it all installed and you're the last element and you're approaching their go live date, that's pretty compelling. Customers yep. typically yep. will do that. But if you're one of three vendors going into the data center, they haven't bought anything yet. And you're saying, oh, they got to be up and live on September 1st and it's August 15th. You know, pretty likely your deal is going to slip. So yeah, just likely. knowing if there's a compelling event and taking the happy years off in the process is, is what we explore in this section of the review. Oh, this is excellent. Jeff, thank you so much for spending the time. I, there's a lot more here to cover and unpack from the book and from your step process. If you're okay, we're going to go ahead and have you back and come back and talk about these elements in another episode. Fantastic. I look forward to it, Richard. Take Jeff care. Jeff, it's been great. If, and if people wanted to find you and, and how do they track you down? Uh, pretty simple. Salesleadersonly.com is my website. Uh, you know, you'll find some, some videos there about the program. You'll also be able to reach me at Jeff at salesleadersonly.com. I'm pretty easy to reach. I'm uh, active on LinkedIn. You can reach me there as well. Yeah, we're, uh, we're big on LinkedIn here. So that's great. Jeff, thanks again. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. All right, Richard. You, you be well. Take care. You've been listening to Digital First Leadership, the podcast where you learn to leverage and build your expertise on digital platforms. For more valuable tips on mastering the language of social media, subscribe to our newsletter at blisspointconsult.com. If you'd like to stay in touch, feel free to add Richard on LinkedIn and join the conversation.